the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Monday's edition of Southern California Live Hour 2. We are together every weekday from 3 to 5 right here. You can join our conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557, or you can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I hope that your week is starting out well. Kids are back to school. And in Los Angeles, maybe my kids went back to school last week and some kids go back to school, I think, the next couple of weeks, different places in Southern California. But uh, isn't it? It's a it's a thing as a parent, you know, as a parent, you kind of for me anyway, but I think a lot of you are on this page. We we love it when our kids are out and then we are love it when they go back and we get a little bit of routine for it. Uh, I want to mention a few things today in this hour. You can join the conversation, 888-528-2557. Lots to say about schools. We'll continue that conversation now. We need to pray for our students and pray for uh, everything going on. We need we need kids to, to learn, and we've got a, an education system that needs a lot of work. I was reading, and I may share more of this later or tomorrow, in uh, Oakland, um, they are having quite a fight about how to help kids learn how to read. When you have something like only 18% of African-American kids learning who can read past the fourth grade level, uh, it's a crisis. It is a crisis much farther than just those individual families, but it's everybody's crisis. Uh, that's terrible. And the, the reading numbers are bad everywhere. And I think a lot of that is because we tend to go through life in different ways, in public policy, and even in our own life, and even in the church sometimes, with the fantasy that says what we're doing is working. Or if we just do it for a little bit longer, something that's not working, even though it hasn't worked for a long time, it's going to eventually just suddenly start to work. Um, one of those issues is today, I don't know how much time I want to talk about it because it's sad, but it should be noted, today is the one-year anniversary of the Taliban's takeover in Afghanistan. And a year ago when we left there, maybe that seems like a long time ago for you. Maybe it seems like it's something very recent. So much has happened even between then and now. It was a disaster. And there was a disaster not only with what happened on the ground, um, but the entire way we did it was just a disaster. And there's been a lot of time for people in different groups to think about it. Um, what's happened in, you know, what's happening over there now is, is bad. Amnesty International, in just about every way, it's an organization that talks about, uh, you know, uh, human rights violations around the world. Um, they just point out that in every way, things are worse for the people in, in uh, Afghanistan since we left. They were getting worse to begin with. And it's probably right that we left. I don't think the way we left was right. But one of the reasons that it was probably right is because it wasn't working. But one of the reasons we stayed is that we were imagining that it was. 
NATO got together and uh, just a couple of months ago to lament and to really talk about what went wrong and what can we learn from being there for 18 years. And when we say NATO, it's NATO, but it's mostly the United States. That's one of the things that went wrong, if you want to ask me. NATO should be more involved in these things Um, and not just the United States. We sure do carry a lot of weight for all of these things around the world. We, NATO took a look and they said, you know what, what happened there is what tends to happen in military operations. And it happens in our businesses too. It happens in our churches. It's called mission creep uh, is the idea that you go in with a very clear understanding of why you're there. But over time, you, the mission turns into something else. Uh, U.S. News and World Report, which I'm surprised is still a magazine, they said, I don't know if they published one or not. I always get surprised to hear about these magazines, that they're still in existence. They said that NATO went into Afghanistan to prevent terrorists from using the country again to attack the United States. But despite that success, and it was successful at first, but they said we must recognize that over the years, the international community set a level of ambition that went well beyond the original aim of fighting terrorism. And on that, we were not able to deliver. Um, that is what is typically uh, mission creep. Mission creep is the idea. Maybe you've heard mission drift. Uh, goal displacement is another way of putting it. It's the idea. Mission creep is the military word. I like it. You, know, you might think mission tre- creep is that weird guy on your ship if you're in the Navy. But mission creep, creep is the idea that you go into some kind of battle or you go into a uh, a a plan to do something with a specific mission, but you stay so long that you forget what that original mission was, and then you're just staying there for the purpose of staying there. And you keep doing it even though it's not really helping or you think it's helping. This happens in in companies, right? Companies, your company might have mission creep where you think that you are, uh, you went into business for a reason, maybe to make a product, and suddenly the other reasons you're there, you know, if you, if you open up a business, hopefully you are also thinking I'm providing a service or I'm providing a product that people need and that will help their lives. And as you open up a business, you hope that if you get to hire employees that you are helping their lives and that you can develop people. I like to develop the people who've worked for me. I hope that whenever they leave working for me, if that day comes that they go someplace better, right? And and you think of it that way. Um, in old days, it still should be what we think about today. Companies understood that they're, they're providing, they're building a nation, they're building a community, that the jobs they provide really help people. Now, the thing is, is that all that is well and good, but the real reason you started your business is because you wanted to sell something or do something at a profit. You were going to make some money. And you know, a problem that we have in our culture is that it used to be that you certainly went into business to make money and you certainly went into business to make a profit and you want to buy a house and you wanted to have a good life and whatever the comforts were for that period of time. But you spent a lot more time thinking about making sure you were providing for others. So today the statistics are that the average CEO might make a hundred times or maybe 300 times more than the lowest paid employee. Uh, That used to be something that we as a country would frown upon. Uh, It used to be maybe 10. CEO made 10 times more than the lowest paid employee. And that's because we focused a lot more on providing work and providing for the community. And yes, the purpose is making a profit. But there's also other things that you you did to make sure that that profit would 
would sustain the, the workers in the community. Mission creep gets in when it becomes just about either me making money or it even just becomes about me providing those jobs and services, but we forget about the need to make a profit. And then you go out of business and what happens is there are no jobs anymore. I've used the example before. Remember Borders Books? Um, I like this example because it's a bookstore and you could go into Borders and it was a great bookstore and you'd go in and you could, it was a, it was a place to hang out. Me and my friends used to, to go hang out. Do you ever do that at Borders Books? Uh, when it existed, it's gone now, completely gone. And it was, it happened fast. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join our conversation, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. Borders Books went out of business because they had mission creep. They don't exist anymore. Um, partly they don't exist because people started buying books online and Amazon became what Amazon is. But Amazon started making a lot of money by digital books and Barnes & Noble is still around because they got on board with the digital book technology and Borders was too far behind on that. I think it's still great to go into a bookstore. And the bookstores, they're fewer than they used to be, but they're still around. Uh, the reason that Borders is gone is because they stopped being a bookstore. Did you notice, notice that if you went there? You could go in there and you could get coffee and you could get a pastry and you could eat it. And what you would do and what customers would do is that they would come in and they would take a book off the shelf and they would read it while they're having their coffee and their pastry in a very comfortable leather chair. They had these leather chairs everywhere and leather couches and great places to sit down. Sometimes lamps, there was a beautiful one in downtown San Diego that was multiple stories. Great place to hang out. And you would go and you would sit there and you would read your book. And then what you would do is you would put the book back on the shelf and leave and not buy the book. And what happened to Borders Books is mission creep. They forgot the purpose of their business is to sell books at a profit. And instead what they did was they turned it into a library with a coffee shop where people weren't buying the books. They were showing up to hang out. It was a great atmosphere. You could have the coffee. I'm sure they probably made some money on that. But they're out of business because they didn't catch up on digital books and how important that was. And they stopped selling books. They let people read them and put them back on the shelf. And it was too late before they figured it out. If you go into a Barnes and Noble today, you will find very few chairs and they got rid of their leather seats. They had these big leather seats that you could go sit on and uh, they're gone. And that's because they learned that lesson. You know, mission creep is something that happens to us in our life. We forget different reasons. It happens in the, the military a lot. It takes really good leadership and really clear vision, and it happens in our churches. Let me ask you this question. Is your church on the mission that Jesus gave, or is it on some other mission? Is your church in a situation where you're making disciples, when you are doing the things that Jesus asked you to do, or do you just think you're doing those things, but really you're just trying to keep the doors open, trying to grow number of people, Mission creep, it's a big deal. 888-528-2557. How is the church doing in this world of mission creep? 888-528-2557 is the number. David in Culver City. Hi, David. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing well, Scott. Um, I, I think your mission, you're, you're mixing a lot of things up with mission creep. Well, go ahead I and mean, tell me where I've got it wrong. That, well, I'll tell you what my opinion is. I'm not saying you got it wrong, but yeah. in my opinion... 
uh, we totally misjudged Afghanistan. The Russians uh, couldn't change the society in Afghanistan, and neither could we. It wasn't a question of mission creep. It was a question we went in there and tried to change the society into a democracy, which we were never going to be able to do. Well, that's we what the... the uh, that's what we this... Did, uh, that's, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. No, I, I think you're right, David, actually. I think that uh, the... The article, the NATO article said exactly that, that the purpose of going in there was to stop terrorists, but then the purpose became to develop a society, and we weren't prepared to do that. Well, I don't, you know, I don't know. That's not what we were initially told by George Bush. That's not what we were told by our presidents. We weren't told that in Iraq. We were told we were going into Iraq to make it a democracy. The people didn't want a democracy. We went into Vietnam thinking we could make a democracy in Vietnam. We lost a huge number of lives. That wasn't mission creep. That was a that was a misguided mission. I think a lot of times we do things that are misguided. We think we're gonna we think we're gonna subvert the will of the people and change the society. It might be a good idea for us to do it, but I just don't think it's a very realistic thing. You have you have to have the people with you when you're trying to change a society. Yeah, David, did you serve in the military? I think you told me once that you did. I did. Yes, I did. And where did you go? In Iraq. You went to Iraq. In Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how long were you there? A lot of time. Uh, I was there for three years. I was in the mm. Marines. We yeah. lost a lot of people. Uh, on an on a mission that was so unrealistic, the people did not want us there. Yeah, there was uh, my uh, I have a nephew who was there for he did three tours in Iraq, so I'm not sure how many years, but three different times he got sent over there. Uh, well, David, I appreciate your your call and thank you for your service. Appreciate that a lot, and I think uh, thanks for calling Southern California Live. You know, I think um, certainly the mission that we went over there turned into something else. I mean, we went over there for weapons of mass destruction, right? But we didn't find them. And then we stayed to try to change the country. Um, Let's say we would have found the weapons of mass destruction. Let's say that they would have shown up, that somebody would have dug a hole and, oh, here they are. Uh, And all of that turned out to be correct. The mission creep would have been to stay after that. Uh, A really good example of not doing mission creep is the first time we went into Iraq when we expelled Saddam Hussein from Kuwait in 1991. Um, If you Google it, you'll find an article that George Herbert Walker Bush wrote for Time magazine where he actually spelled out his goals for going over there. And he accomplished all three of those goals. And then we left. And we expelled Saddam Hussein from Kuwait. We prevented him from going into Saudi Arabia. I forget what the third one was. He was criticized a lot for not going into Baghdad, for not invading Baghdad at the time. Some people after uh, when the Iraq war started in the 2000s thought, well, we wouldn't be there if George Herbert Walker Bush would have gone to Baghdad at the time. But probably George H.W. Bush was right. Mission creep would have been to say, okay, we're over here, we've accomplished our goals, and now we're going to stay for some new goals. And uh, that's the problem. That's what happened, I think, in Afghanistan. I think most people, you know, NATO, lots of groups felt that we should be in Afghanistan after 9-11. Certainly at the time they thought so. But 18 years there and a lot of death and a lot of confusion and to leave and have it fall back to the Taliban so fast, what Our government and an article today, and most of our newspapers are writing about it today, how wrong we were about the ability of the Afghan forces to stay together, who we were training, and fight against the Taliban. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557 is the number. And as, as we think about this, what I 
am wondering is, what do you think about the church, the Christian church, and are we suffering from mission creep? How much do we do that is maybe taking away from the mission that Jesus gave us? I guess when you think about the church, it could be your church, it could be any church. Every church struggles with this, by the way. Every organization struggles with it. It's hard. It's hard to stay on on mission because there are so many other things. How's the church doing in its mission to make disciples? How much talk about making disciples do we do versus actual disciple making? I'd love to hear what does your church do for disciple making or what do you do intentionally about making disciples? 888-528-2557 is that number, 888-528-2557. I think it's important for us all as believers to think about this because when we get off track, you know, for some of us, our faith turns into our our politics, right? Where suddenly what we're called to do is, is, you know, win elections. I'm not saying as a citizen, we shouldn't be worried about that. If in particular, we're concerned about the betterment of our society and as citizens, we have a lot there. But what happens when, when things are going badly? Has the church lost its way? has, you know, in fact, most of the studies today, you know, if you use the word evangelical, for example, a lot of people see that as a really bad word today. A lot of people, churches are even saying, we need to stop calling ourselves evangelical. We we kind of destroy words, don't we? Um, and the word is there to say, hey, this is a group of people who want the world to know about Jesus Christ, whose goal is to help people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ by preaching the gospel and living it out. And an evangelical church, if you're called that, you if you're inside you know, the church, you know what it means and you're not too bothered by it. But you have to take a look at what the, the world is thinking. And does the world look at the church today and say, that's a group of people who wants to make things better? Or does the church take a look and say, okay, well, those churches are coming at things from the left politically and those churches are coming from the right politically? or those churches aren't about anything, or they're just about everything the same. See what I'm saying? Is when you think about your faith, has somehow your faith moved from a a faith where you are to love people in the name of Jesus in a practical way, to a faith where your goal is sin management? Your goal is just simply to, to sin less, and if I can just sin less, then I'm accomplishing what I need to do spiritually. See what I mean? We're told in the scriptures that we should grow in our faith and that we should spend our time, uh, we should be concerned about our own sin. And when James talks about religion, he talks about true religion that our Father accepts. The second thing he says is keeping oneself being, from being polluted by the world. I think we spend a lot of time camped out there, but how much time do we spend camped out on religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress? Do we spend a lot of time there or do we, or not? What are some better ways that we can do it? See what I mean? Is that how close to our faith are we in our, our church today? I think it's normal for us to get off. There've been periods of time in history where the church is are way off, right? Really dark periods of time. When we have the Great Commission and we think about, well, what did Jesus actually tell us to do? It is 
an interesting thing. There's a word that people leave out of that all the time. Did you know that? There's a word that gets skipped when people sometimes quote, do you even know the Great Commission? There's a terrible thing by Barna that says most Christians don't even know what that is. When I say the Great Commission, do you know what it is? I hope that you do. The Great Commission is this. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded to you. And and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission, except I forgot a word. I left a word out. Did you catch which word I left out of that? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word that I'm skipping is the word obey and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, there is a lot more to our faith than just simply teaching people about the faith. It's a way of life. It's a way of life of following Jesus and doing what he says for the purpose of making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which presupposes that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I got to take a break. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join our conversation. 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. I am Scott Furrow. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number. One year anniversary of the Taliban taking over again in uh, Afghanistan. Not really something to celebrate. Uh, all of it is a bad, bad, um, bad scene in our history for sure. And when we look at things like this, though, when we look at failures, it's always good to take a look at those things and so we don't do them again. We tend to do them repeatedly. Nations do that, but so do companies, so do churches, so do individuals. And when you read what a lot of people are writing today about the entire time in Afghanistan, they're using the term mission creep, which is a military term, but you might call it mission drift or goal displacement. And what that is, is it's the situation by an organization of goals. I got this definition from somewhere, but I didn't write it down where I got it from, but uh, the substitution by an organization of the goal or goals which it was established to serve for other goals, the latter frequently serving the interest of the employees. Um, that's what it means in a, in a business. So when the means become the ends itself is basically the idea. So in politics, you know, what's the actual goal of politics? With all the nastiness that we have, what's the goal, though? What, what, is the, what should the goal be of politics? There's always been politics. All right, there's always politics. But the goal should ultimately be a better society, right? Not left or right, but up or down. How do we make things genuinely, practically better? But what happens in our politics and in politics everywhere is subtly this changes where all of a sudden the goal becomes to get your party in power because you think that's what's better for the country. And you might actually think that. You could even be right. But the goal, see how that subtle, how subtle that is where the goal was better society. Now the goal is to get your party in power so that you get a better society. But see, that's upside down. And so then 
And the reason that begins to lead to destruction is then we get to a place where, so right or wrong, I'm going to support my party or my side, uh, and then the other side is always the, you know, my side is always the lesser of two evils, and what you got are two evils, but you don't have any leaders, and what follows is sideways leadership and then destruction. Nations do that all throughout history. Ours is doing it. It just is. Military has it happen, mission creep. If you were to ask people why we're in Afghanistan in 2001, most people would have a pretty good reason, terrorism. But really hard to argue that in the fall of 2021 or the spring of 2021, right before we left. Churches do it. And, you know, for our conversation, and individuals do it. We do it as as parents. Is our job as a parent to provide a good time for our kids, to provide a safe atmosphere for our kids, to raise them up to make sure that when they become 18, we can get them out of the house and they will come back for holidays and visits. That often becomes the goal, right? But the goal is for Christians is to raise up godly men and women to carry forth the mission of the church, okay, moving forward. And to do that, you got to feed them. To do that, you got to educate them. To do that, you got to keep them safe. To do that, you got to be a good parent. But the bigger call for parents is right and wrong, an example, so that you point them to Christ as best as you can. See, as Christian parents, we forget that sometimes. We think it's the church's job to do that, meaning the address where we struggle to get our kids there on time on the weekend. And we hope that for that hour in Sunday school, when they're not playing games or making crafts or fooling around with their buddy in the back row, that they hear something. It's got to be more than that. See, in the church, we get mission drift when we realize that the church is really for others, not for us. That the church purpose is to create disciples, Christ followers, as the Great Commission tells us. The drift is... We organize to do that, which is really good. Churches are, you know, churches are planted. If you're planting a church, a great thing about church plants is that you know what happens in church plants is that when they're successful, people come to Christ in huge numbers. When they're successful, uh, the neighborhood starts to attract people to church who haven't been to church for a long time or maybe who have never gone to church. And one of the reasons for that is that you, when you're planting a church, there's nobody to please. There's no history. There's no, this is the way we've always done it. Your goal is to meet the needs of those others who aren't there yet. And what happens over time is we forget that sometimes. And and sometimes the purpose of church, let's just be honest about it, is to have a good worship service. And it's good to have a good worship service. It matters. You don't want a lousy worship service. you know. And, and the reason, though, for that is because you want people to show up and you want people to bring the people that they work with and the people that they go to class with. And you don't want somebody in your church to have to lean over and say to the person that finally agreed to come with them to church, you don't want them to lean over and go, it's not usually this terrible. Right? So you want a good church service, best that you can. I think people put too much pressure on that. I think your guests probably aren't. They are not looking for a big show as much as we put on a big show. They're, but they're probably looking for something that looks like you care, that you put some work into it, some effort. Sometimes the purpose of the church, we think, is right teaching. Super important to have right teaching. Your church collapse if you don't. Got to have right teaching. What's the point without right teaching? But that in itself upholds the mission of the church in making disciples of Jesus. It is not itself the right teaching. Then, see, if, if the purpose is right teaching... Uh, then you have a seminar place. You have a great place to go for understanding. Uh, for a lot of people, I think this is the big one for a lot of us, 
is the purpose being a fellowship club. This is where I get to have my friends, and this is where we do our our potlucks or our kids' ministry or whatever it is. And that, by the way, is a great part of church. Christy and I are joining the church, and, you know, we care about a lot of different things about the church. And, you know, to be truthful, we care an awful lot about the youth group because we got kids who are 10 and 13. Matters a lot. Uh, to us. But the reason is, is we want them to grow up as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We're making disciples. They've been baptized already. We want to continue their growth. We hope the church helps with that, but we we aren't under the uh, the illusion that we don't have a role as parents. See, all of it works together. But to be real truthful, we're certainly looking to to meet new people. We're in a new town, and we don't know that many people, and we'll get to know people. It's a great part of church. It's a huge part of church. I was thinking this last night, just how great it is to go to church and uh, start to get to know new people and to realize that there are friends that that matter. And we'll get into some small group. And your small group, if it's run well, will be something that helps grow people in their faith. But the reason people go to your small group at first is typically to get to know people. And that's fine. But it's not the purpose. The purpose is to help you make disciples better of the people that God has placed in your life. The sad thing that happens in church sometimes is sometimes the church becomes organizational survival. Our purpose is to be here because we've been here forever and we need to keep being here. No, you don't. You need to be used by God in the lives of other people to demonstrate and announce the gospel. If you're not doing that, if you're not doing the work of God in your community, uh, then let somebody else have your building and stuff. It's not yours. Jesus's. That sends shockwave through some people, doesn't it? See, all of those things, it's, you know, you want your organization to be to survive. You want people running it who aren't idiots, you know, who are gifted in certain ways, who can uh, make sure that it operates appropriately. That certainly matters. But all of those things are a means to an end. And what happens is they become an end. And the reason is mission drift, that churches are planted to go reach the lost, but they quickly become about maintaining and so they can hold on to the found. That's, uh, that's what happens. Well, we don't want to do that. You know, in our faith, you know, how are you doing with mission? Are you on mission with Jesus? Are you actually in a place where you can say, you know what, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do, and I can go to the Bible, and uh, when I'm off course, it'll correct me, and I'll get back on mission? And if, uh, you know, do you know your Bible that well to do that, to stay on mission? It matters. And this, this matters a lot. The, in the book of James, I almost called it the, uh, the gospel of James. Um, it is, uh, and I like it, the gospel of James. It's not really the gospel. We don't call it the gospel, but it's a great way to look at it. Chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. There's something about being a believer, that should help us stay on on focus. And one of them is this. The Lord's coming is near, and the rains are going to come, and we need to be patient and stand firm. But being a believer should be like watching a sporting event where you already know it's been recorded, and you already know who wins, because God wins. That's that's the church. You know, that's that's what we have going for us. You ever think of it that way? You ever watch a ball game or or a movie and they've already spoiled the ending, or maybe you watch the movie, but you've already read the book, so what you're really doing is just comparing the movie to the book. And uh, it's a different experience, right? You don't have the same suspense. 
you don't have the same suspense going on because you um, already know the ending. That's Christianity. We already know the ending. We got a book that tells us how it ends. What we do in the meantime is to stay focused on what God is calling us to do in the meantime. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host, 888-528-2557. Sandy in Fresno. Fresno, welcome to Southern California Live. Are you in Fresno now, Sandy? Sandy? All right, Sandy, I'm going to... Oh, yes, I am here. Hi, Sandy. I am. But I thought, okay, I thought it was completely supposed to turn the sound down. But, um, yes, I was just, not that I probably want to have a long conversation, but I just wanted to share that um, my family, my kids live in Orange County, and I never have been able to find a radio station that I wanted to listen to. And I just have thoroughly enjoyed uh, your station today. Oh, well, thank you very much. Are you listening to KKLA or in Los Angeles? Uh, yes, I am. All right. Well, we we love it, and uh, thank you for listening. Your kids are here in Orange County, huh? Yes. Yes. They, um, my grandkids go to a, a Christian uh, school down here, which blesses us, because I'm very involved with education and what's happening. Mm. And um, so that's a blessing. Yeah. Well, Sandy, thank you. I'm really glad that you found us. And uh, you can listen to us uh, online if you've got an Alexa or at your computer, or if you want to listen to KKLA, go to kkla.com. Uh, you can hear us all around the world, uh, wherever well, you thank are. thank you. All right. Well, Sandy, th- thank, thank you very much for thank calling. You. I'm glad that you're Bye-bye. listening and that you're blessed by uh, the programming today. I can remind you to go to your radio station website, uh, wherever you're listening. There are so many different things on there and ways that we can connect together. Uh, you can connect with me by visiting the Southern California Live page and on uh, your radio station's website, and you can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. You can find me on the various social media out there. I am Scott Furrow, your host. This is Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And I'll be back as the Monday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. It is Monday. I hope you're not having a Monday, but it is Monday. And if you are having a Monday, just you can be glad that tomorrow is is Tuesday. I feel like there's an old B.B. Uh, King song. What is? How does it go? But it goes something like, uh, you know, Stormy Monday. And then it says, you know, today's Stormy Monday, and uh, but Tuesday's just as bad. <laughs> It's a great song, by the way. Anyway, one eight hundred. I don't know. There's no one eight hundred. Don't call one eight hundred. Call eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. I think if you are at a certain age and you think in your mind toll free number, right? You think one eight hundred whatever. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. For most of us, does anybody pay long distance anymore? I mean, maybe there's some. Maybe if you call overseas, or I know if you're in another country with your cell phone. You pay extra, but it used to be that every call you made cost you something, unless it was a toll-free number, 888-528-2557. And you can call that number and uh, join our conversation, 888-528-2557. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, mission creep today and uh, the mission of the church and how we sometimes get off course. Can I give you something to uh, to help you? Maybe you've got something that helps you stay on course with your faith. I want to give you an idea here. Here's the idea. In the Bible, I believe that 
there's maybe more, but God has at least three lists that you should pay attention to. Three different lists that that you see that God has. One of them is a list about the future. The other one is a list about the past. And then the other one is a list about the present. All right, so the list about the future is recorded in something called the Book of Life. Ever read the Book of Revelation? I encourage people to read it all the time. You won't understand a lot of it, but you're going to understand the big picture. And the big picture is the end of the game. God wins, and it is, you're going to read that, and you're going to go, this really sounds like something happening now. It may not be happening now. People thought that for 2,000 years it's happening now. It's going to happen eventually, and you won't be surprised that, it, that to learn that it could and that it will. In this book, though, at the end, when you have the final judgments and tribulations are are over, you have the scene, Revelation 20, of a great white throne, and you then have the judgment. And it says, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw all of the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. All right, this is the scene here. Another book was opened. It was called the Book of Life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up her dead that were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And uh, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Does anybody have that on their wall, like a, you know, a refrigerator magnet or something? Anyone whose name was not found written in the Book of Life was thrown into the lake of fire. <laughs> That's where that is. Uh, right there. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? It is very serious. It's a lot more serious than anything else. But here you have at this great white throne, there's a difference of opinion theologically if Christians are going to be there at the great white throne. Some people think that Christians will already be moved into glory. They'll, they'll be at the Bema seat. That's a place where uh, Jesus hands out, uh, you know, your, your, he looks at your life and you get awards maybe for uh, crowns, if you will, for things that you've done, but you're already saved. Everybody there is saved. Great white throne, this is this is court, you know, and if Christians are there, they're going to be declared righteous and they get to have everlasting life. Everybody else is going to get judged. But what it takes to be declared righteous ultimately is that you are saved, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's how that continues, by the way. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. John three thirty six. whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. All right, lots there, heavy stuff there, right? Well, in the book of Revelation, then you have the book of life and whosoever name is in the book of life, you get saved. That's God's list. It's in the book of life. And if you know Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Savior, if you've received his grace, which is a free gift, and I'd love to tell you about him if you've got questions or your concern, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. You can email me, Scott Furrow, your host. He has this list. It is who gets to go to heaven. Book of Life, that's the list. There's also a list about the past. And you can find a lot in the Scripture about this list. But in the book of Romans, verse chapter 3, verse 21, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, which is what we just said. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Aren't you glad he doesn't punish your sin right away? Like, wouldn't it be terrible if you told a lie and, like, all your teeth immediately fell out and you were just punished? Uh, He waits. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that to be just, so that to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All have sinned and fall short. All are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And the list here is the list of your sins. Everything you did, everything that was on your heart, every selfish motive, every sinful act. There's a list of your sins. He took that list and he laid it on Christ and he nailed it to the cross. You know, the hardest thing for people who don't believe in God sometimes is that really, if you don't believe in God, then there's no justice, right? If you can get away with it, you might as well just do it. But the scriptures are very clear that justice is going to be done. God in his mercy, he paid for your sins. He didn't just excuse them or say they don't matter. They do matter. They were paid for by the blood of his son, getting what you and I deserve. He listed your sins and mine, and he took care of the debt that was owed because of them on that cross. That's his that is that list. There's a list that's in the future, book of life. There's a list of your sins that's in the past. It was nailed to the cross. That's a pretty good deal. Here's the list for the present. There are things for us to do. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a list for us to do in the present. God's works Good works includes all kinds of good things, but what's the purpose of the good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do? The purpose is so that other people can be saved. Social justice, is it just to help people, you know, biblical justice? No, it's so that people can be saved. That's the point. Use your gifts at church, fine. To edify the body of Christ, yes, you should. But why? So that people can be saved. There's a lot of issues that matter a lot, but Jesus called us to serve and bear the burdens of the oppressed and to use our gifts and to grow in our faith. Why? Because it's good, and Jesus loves those things, but he wants people to be saved. That's what God wants. Here's the list. The list in the future is the book of life. The list in the past is your sins. Your list right now is the people that God has placed in your life for you to demonstrate and announce the gospel to. They're the people that are in your life. You didn't ask for them. The Greek word for this group of people is oikos, like the yogurt, okay, but it's oikos. The root word is same word that you might find in economy or, or um, ecology, all right? It is a system that God has put here. And your, your list are the people that God has placed in your life, your family, your coworkers, your classmates, the people that you interact with on a regular basis. You know why I talk about them so often? It's because that's the third list. And if you want to stay on mission with Jesus— If you really want something that'll help you, do this. Make a list of the people that God has put around you. This is not your prayer list. Your prayer list will be bigger. There's more people to pray for. These are the people that know you well enough because you spend time with them every day. All right, these are the people that are in your family. They're your coworkers, your classmates. They're probably your next door neighbors, even if you don't know them very well. They probably know a lot about you. If if your windows are open and uh, stuff, you know, they know you. The people who are in your, your proximity that you spend time with, your, your um, sphere of influence, your relational world, uh, oikos is what that group of people is. That's what a sociologist would say. That's also the New Testament word for that group of people. 
list those people, pray for them every day, and ask God to use you in their life so that they might be saved. Or if they're already saved, then ask God to help you help them grow or ask God to help them help you grow. Maybe they're more mature than you. Invest in their life. Care for those people. See, that's the list. That's the list of good things that God has has created for you to do in advance. It's related to those people. That's what saved people do. When we are saved, we care about those people that God has placed in our life. That's what the church does. To avoid mission creep in your church or in your own life, focus on the people that God has placed in your life. You may not like those people, right? They may not like you. That's that's how it goes. That's why we're told to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, right? There's There's no way out. If you don't have anybody in your life who's not a Christian and you're a Christian, uh, go find some people to be friends with who don't know the Lord. They're probably in your life already. Go find those people. That's one of the things that happens in church sometimes is the only people we end up knowing are people who are already saved. And the reason that people don't get saved is in our that we don't have that experience is we haven't met anybody who isn't saved for so long. Follow those people. You know, Make your list of people and love those people. Pray for them every day. Ask God, how can I be used in their life every day? Say that prayer in the morning. God's going to answer it. And you're going to find that your faith grows. Invest in those people. Care for those people. At some point, you'll invite them to church, or you'll invite them to coffee, or you'll invite them to some place where you're going to have a spiritual conversation. It's amazing how this works. This is a way that you can avoid mission creep in your life. With your family, make sure that you are pointing them to Jesus. With your friends who are believers, point them to Jesus. Your non-believing friends, point them to Jesus. You do it with your life, with your words, with all that you do. Friends, I'm out of time. I hope this was helpful for you today. And uh, I'm not going to get to the rest of your calls, but you can call back on Friday for Open Line Friday. And uh, we appreciate that. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We will be back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. God bless you. See you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.